Welcome to the Intersection of Faith and the Culture. As Wall Builders, we're taking on the hot topics of the day from a biblical, historical, and constitutional perspective. I'm Rick Green, America's Constitution Coach, here with David Barton and Tim Barton. Tim's a national speaker and pastor and president of Wall Builders. David's, of course, America's premier historian and our founder at Wall Builders. You can learn more about all three of us and the organization at our website, wallbuilders.com, wallbuilders.com, and then also wallbuilderslive.com. That's the radio site if you need a list of all the hundreds of stations across the nation where you can catch the program, or if you just want to catch up on some of the podcast and the uh, the recent programs over the last couple of weeks that you might have missed. You don't want to miss those Good News Friday programs. We'll have a good one for you tomorrow. And then you also don't want to miss the interviews Monday through Wednesday. And then, of course, today we've got Foundations of Freedom, so we'll be taking your questions. And uh, there's, of course, the, uh, more of those in the archives at the website as well. And let me ask you to also come alongside us. There at the website, you can make a donation that's a great way to team up with us. It puts fuel in the tank. We're able to add stations, reach more people, do more of our pastor's conferences, our youth leadership training, our teacher training, all the different things that happen throughout the year. When you donate at wallbuilders.com, you are helping to restore America's constitutional republic. So please consider that. Check that out today at wallbuilders.com. All right, David and Tim, we're ready to dive into those Foundations of Freedom questions. Others can send them in to radio at wallbuilders.com, which Kenneth has already done. And he said, lately, the new channels I've been following on Instagram have been updating me that the White House has been publishing that President Biden signed an ex- executive order to convert our currency from paper to digital. I was wondering if you guys have anything, uh, have heard anything about this or have, a, have any of our representatives heard about this? Is it true? Has Biden overstepped his role? According to Article 1, Section 8, to coin money, regulate the value thereof, and uh, fix the standards of weight and measures is there for the federal government. Also, to my understanding, the Federal Reserve is a private entity separate from the government, but they created Fed now. Okay, so he's got a lot of questions about the money supply, about this whole idea of being able to um, uh, convert from paper to digital. And I don't know, guys, if it's convert from paper to digital at this point, I think what they're talking about is adding digital, right? Well, it's going to be convert from uh, paper to digital eventually. eventually you start with yep, adding yep. it, and then you get rid of the paper. So That's it's right. been going on. Uh, we've been right in the middle of this across the nation. There's what's called the Uniform Commercial Code, and it's come out this year in about 23, 25 states thereabouts. And it lays the groundwork for being able to convert to a digital cur- currency or add a digital currency. Now, just to be upfront, on the website, even for uh, the Treasury Department, says they can't do it unless they're authorized by Congress to do so. But Biden is pushing it. He's moving in that direction. Um, and by the way, just one of the reasons, uh, I, I guess let's, let's take this thing kind of systematically. Digital currency, does it exist? No. Is Bitcoin and cryptocurrency digital currency? No. It is an asset. It is not something you can go into a store and redeem for a loaf of bread or a gallon of gasoline or anything else. It is well, an now, asset. Now, wait a second. If somebody wants to give me a Bitcoin, I will buy you a loaf of bread. <laughs> That's right. I, I will redeem it for you for a loaf of That's bread. Right. I will take care of that. For third party, you can do that, but you're not going to go in and have it recognized. So it is an asset, just like if you have investments in a bank account or something else. So cryptocurrency is not a currency, despite it's called that. It is an asset. So to be able to have a digital currency, the problem we don't like about that is under modern monetary theory, digital currency is what they want because it allows the government to control all forms of currency because they'll go from a, a from a paper currency to digital, and then they make a programmable digital currency, and that's where the real problem is. 
programmable currency is not a good a good outcome. It, it's definitely not. And as you're saying, they, they they will. I mean, this is something that certainly we speculate as part of the the goal and intention. It's not something right now that they're they're not saying we want programmable currency so we can shut down people we don't like. They're not saying that out loud. And, if and, you and explain programmable currency, how that works, how right, they would shut it down. You, well, if you read between the lines, you might think this is what they're going to do. And programmable currency is like what they do in China, having a social credit score that if you. Uh, come out against what the in China specifically. If you come out against what uh, the the Chinese government, what the communist leaders, the dictator says, then they can say, okay, well then you can't you can't buy a train ticket, you can't buy a plane ticket, you can't buy these groceries. They literally can evaporate your finances where you have nothing you can use, you can't spend, you can't go anywhere. They uh, and, and part of it is related to they have a surveillance state and their passports, and there's just so much involved in this in this communist China regime. Well, people are fearful. That's what would happen here in America. And, and and there's arguably a reason for people to be fearful of that, given what we've seen from Democrat positions. And certainly, I mean, even, even in Canada, when you saw what uh, dictator Trudeau did in Canada with the truckers saying, hey, we're freezing their bank accounts. We're not letting them access the money, even to get gas to drive home because they came on the Capitol to peacefully protest. And we don't allow that here. This is the kind of stuff we're seeing happen around the world. And as now you have Democrats and, and certainly with Biden advocating, we need we need to go to digital currency. There is a legitimate fear that if you don't have any tangible money, if you don't have tangible assets, it's it's all electronic. And then the federal government controls that electronic means of your money that they then will be able to play favorites and pick and choose and shut people down when somebody steps out against what the government is advocating or mandating. So if, if you're a Christian, you believe that marriage is between a man and woman, and you believe what the Bible says, that God made them male and female, and that really is simplified it, that there's an, an XX and there's an XY, and, and right, like it's just biology is not that complicated. If you hold that position, then the government might could view you as extreme and say, hey, that's hateful, bigoted, racist rhetoric, and therefore we're not going to let you spend your money. We're going to penalize you for holding those positions. This is not as far-fetched as some people might think. And this is where there is a fear of having a government-controlled digital currency, which is part of what Biden is advocating. They're not advocating for shutting down people they don't like yet, but they are advocating for a digital currency. And that would open the door for, for some levels of censorship. And that's part of what the fear is. And they also believe the digital currency will be able to handle things like inflation. Because if, if you remember back when Biden took office, gasoline went from a buck seventy nine a gallon on average up to about three twenty nine, three thirty nine. So that's a lot of inflation. That means your your dollar doesn't go as far, and inflation is caused by not enough supply and too much demand. And after Biden shut down so many of those oil resources that were available and stopped stopped the drilling and the other things, it just there wasn't as much available, and so prices are higher. What they do is on digital programmable currency, they say, well, Tim, you only need to buy gas every Monday because you just don't need gas that much. And so what they can do is with programmable currency, decide what days you can buy certain things and how much of certain things you can buy. And that then reduces the demand, which drops the price back down. Now, this is part of what's happening. in as you look in Europe, they're having what they call 15 minute cities. 
15-minute cities, everything you need was in 15 minutes of you. You can walk there within 15 minutes. You don't need a car for anything. Man, we don't need those fossil fuels. That's just destroying the planet. And so we're creating cities where that anything you need, you can walk there within 15 minutes. And those are called 15-minute cities. Now, there's a lot of legislators in the EU very concerned about that movement. But again, this is kind of like programmable currency. And if it's all digital currency, then the government controls it. You may think you have it, but they're the ones that redeem it. And they're the ones that decide the value of everything else. So it really takes the free market out of it. And as you're pointing out, like, let me go back to the 15-minute cities. This is not a good thing because you kind of right. left that a little bit open. It's not a good thing at all because yeah. the government is the one that controls, in a socialistic sense, the means of production. The government controls who owns what property and who can go where. And so freedoms are lost significantly living in these government-controlled cities uh, where the government has all of the means, all the access, all the power individuals well, are subject throw, to. It. What if you want to take a vacation? Well, I'm sorry, if you can't walk there in 15 minutes, you don't need a vacation because that's way too much fossil fuels. But I want to take the family to the Alps and go skiing. I'm sorry, you don't need to go skiing in the Alps because you just don't. And it really is a shutdown of so much of what we're used to doing. Well, and part of that, too, to, to connect the dots is because they sell you don't need a car, right? You don't need a car. You live in, in this 15-minute city, so you don't need to have access to be able to go to these other places because you'd be burning fossil fuel. So if you wanted to go on vacation, you are very limited as to how you have access to some of those vacations. How do I get to where I want to go? Can I get to where I want to go? And, and how am I making the money I need for this? It's it's the government, again, uh, kind of the socialist idea, the government controlling the means of production, the government controlling property, et cetera, et cetera. But let's back up to this digital currency. Part of, I mean, Dad, you're talking about their argument is, but we could help control inflation if we controlled all the money. Well, that's dangerous for lots and lots of reasons. I, I, I don't trust the federal government in, in that capacity to make those judgment calls. But this is also where not only can could they control inflation, which is part of their argument, but we also recognize that they can promote their ideology with this programmable currency. Because as you mentioned, maybe they say, hey, you only need to fill up with gas in your vehicle every Monday. But they also could say, to protect the environment, right? So for environmental justice, not only can you only fill up on Monday, you can only have 10 gallons of gas mm -hmm. because that that is all that you're allowed to burn based on the environmental protection and all what you want to do. All your carbon credits, you only get certain many carbon credits. Th th this is where there's the danger. Now, let's, let's back up to the initial question. Is this what President Biden has done? No, President Biden has not done this to this point. What he's done to this point is, is only created a mechanism that... In the future, this kind of stuff could happen through that mechanism. The mechanism that he opened up is only a, a digitizing of, of processing of some things financial. So it, it's certainly not at this point. There is still no such thing as digital currency, which, Dad, you pointed out mm -hmm. several minutes ago when we started this conversation, that that does not exist yet. But before there could be digital currency, there had to be a platform where you can house and manage digital, digital mm -hmm. currency. This is that platform. So this is and this is why there's a lot of people nervous about this, because as Biden is advocating for a central bank digital currency, there, there was no way to do that until now. Now that there is this platform, now there is the means for the introduction of a central bank digital currency, which is the federal government controlling our digital assets, our all our money. And, and, and even if this comes in, right, this, this would not happen overnight. It, it wouldn't take all of our money overnight. It just opens the door for more government regulation, for more government control of our lives, of our property, of our assets. And that certainly is a bad thing. And back to the original question as well, a lot of states are fighting digital currency. 
Uh, it was felt that the Uniform Commercial Code, which more than half the states, it was given to the states this year for them to ratify and pass. And a lot of the states looked at it and said, oh, man, this is this is like a building code. Yeah, well, this is not our stuff. We'll ratify. Sure. Everybody needs to have Uniform Commercial Code so we can all do business together, all 50 states. But then started finding out, no, there's a lot more to this. Not only is it poorly written, this is a mechanism to open the door for digital currency. And so w- what happened was Christy Noam up in South Dakota was the first governor to say, no, we're, we're not doing this in South Dakota. We're not going to go this this route. And, and, and partly, too, it was, it was great to see Christy Noam veto that. But partly, too, it wasn't just digital currency. It was programmable digital That's currency. Right. That's and right. this version of the UCC, because they said that there would be people that control the currency and control where it's used and how it's used. And, and you go, wait a second. Why, why should anybody be able to control my money other than me? That's crazy. But that was part of the That's language right. in this year's UCC, which is part of what led Governor Nome to say, no, we're not going to do this. And then many states after that move yeah. said, OK, we're, we're going to table this. We're, we're not going to do this right now. We're, we're sending the UCC back to the drawing board uh, so they can revisit this. And, and we're not against a, a uniform commercial code. We're against bad things in the uniform That's commercial right. code. And certainly programmable currency is a bad thing. And it was really cool that DeSantis, as you can imagine, was early on in this and he vetoed it in, in, in Florida as well. So we've had governors do it. Tim, as you mentioned, a lot of the states, once they found out what was in it, pulled it down and not even going to consider it this year. Next year's where the rest of the states are supposed to consider it, but there's going to be a whole lot of states consider it next year because a lot of states didn't want to consider it this year. And so with what has happened, the other thing that has come out is a lot of states are now passing a specific five-word amendment that says we're not going to have digital currency in the state. And, and that creates legal hurdles for the federal government to have to get through. It would lead to lawsuits, which is what they want. They want to get this in federal court. So even the federal government acknowledges Congress is going to have to do this, but that's not a guarantee when you saw what happened with the National Defense Authorization Act. And we heard on Monday with Frank Gaffney that, that they put an entire bill tucked in there, and that opened the door for all sorts of bad stuff that congressmen themselves didn't want. So that's the kind of stuff we're watching about and don't want to happen, and that's why they're putting those five-word provisions. So in your state, check your legislator, see if they've done anything with the Uniform Commercial Code. If they have, tell them kill it. Don't do that, and make sure you get an amendment in there that digital currency is not going to be recognized in the state. Uh, because if you kill digital currency, you have killed digital programmable currency. You have to kill the, the the horse on which the rider is going to be if you don't want the rider to come in on the horse. And we're not saying kill horses. That's, that's right. Not, that's not, not a suggestion right now. But, Dad, to, to also remind people, we're, we're not against a uniform commercial code. That's right. So when you say if, if your state has a uniform commercial code, kill it, it, it's not killing the code that we are as interested in That's as right. much as the programmable digital currency. That is what needs to stop. And, and just like with so many pieces of legislation, when it, it, it's a huge bill, and we probably remember the infamous statement from Nancy Pelosi that you need to pass it before you find out what's in it. That is the worst advice ever. You always want to know what's in the bill before you pass it. And in the UCC bill that came out this year, there's very bad stuff in it. So find out if where your state stands on the UCC, this year's version of the UCC. And if your state has done anything other than kill it or table it, you need to let them know this is bad. We need to change it. We need to fix it as soon as we can to say our state will not do programmable digital currency. All right, guys, great answer and great question. Ken Osborne, thanks for sending that in to us from Washington State. When we come back from the break, we'll get David's question from Vermont. So stay with us, folks. You're listening to Wobble.
this is Tim Barton with Wall Builders. And as you've had the opportunity to listen to Wall Builders Live, you've probably heard the wealth of information about our nation, about our spiritual heritage, about the religious liberties, about all the things that makes America exceptional. And you might be thinking, as incredible as this information is, I wish there was a way that I could get one of the Wall Builders guys to come to my area and share with my group, whether it be a church, whether it be a Christian school or public school or some political event or activity. If you're interested in having a Wall Builder speaker come to your area, you can get on our website at www.wallbuilders.com and there's a tab for scheduling. And if you'll click on that tab, you'll notice there's a list of information from speakers' bios to events that are already going on. And there's a section where you can request an event to bring this information about who we are, where we came from, our religious liberties and freedoms. Go to the Wall Builders website and bring a speaker to your area. Welcome back to Wall Builders. Thanks for staying with us. We're taking your questions today on this Foundations of Freedom Thursday, and the next one's coming from Vermont. David asks, greetings from behind enemy lines. So for all you folks that are in those kind of left-wing states, um, we don't consider your state the enemy, but we do feel like when I jokingly say behind enemy lines, we do feel like you're kind of stuck back there with a leftist government. Uh, But anyway, great line. Uh, Thank you for saying that, uh, and we appreciate you still listening Behind from behind enemy lines, David. All right, anyway, David said, first of all, thanks for your ministry and the work you do. I pray the Lord will continue to bless and strengthen you as you persevere. Please take a look at the article I've linked, which describes recent events in Vermont between a Christian school and the Vermont Principals Association, which is the governing body over competitive sports and other activities in Vermont schools. Interesting, guys. I didn't realize that the Principals Association, we have UIL here in Texas. Uh, he said, do you think there's any legal recourse that could be taken by Mid-Vermont Christian School? I don't have a personal dog in this fight uh, yet. I do take this affront against Christian principles by the Vermont principles, meaning principles of the schools, personally. Thank you, and God bless you always, David, from Jeffersonville, Vermont. Well, David, thank you. God bless you. Thanks for standing strong, as you jokingly said, behind enemy lines. So, David, Tim, what 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 actually happened to this this Christian school? What what what, what was it that the, um, the uh, Vermont Principals Association did to them, and then what can they do about it? So, guys, my recollection is this is the the situation where uh, there was a girls basketball team. It was a state playoff, and they were at at this point in Vermont. Uh, all the schools are kind of competing against each other. So, Christian school, this specific one was competing against other public schools, uh, charter schools, right? Whoever kind of is in this league, but the school they're competing against was a higher seated team, but they had a biological male who identified as a female playing on the girls' team. And this Christian school said, we're, we're not going to put our girls through that. We're, we're not, we're, this isn't a co-ed game, right? We're, we're not going to do that. We're protecting our girls. And so they forfeited the game rather than play the game against a biological male. And this is where the state decided to penalize them and say, well, if you're not going to play against these transgenders, then you can't play sports with us anymore. And, and, and again, this is my understanding. I haven't looked at this uh, in the last several weeks, but this is my understanding uh, from what I remember when this unfolded. And so they're removed from the ability to compete in athletics if they don't allow their girls to compete against the biological males identifying as females. And, and this is something that certainly that we would expect. There's many religious liberty organizations that would be more than happy to take this case on. I, I, I know that uh, they're already appealing this. They're already represented. I don't at this point remember who it was that's representing them. But from a, a constitutional standpoint, this certainly is, is not permissible to penalize a Christian school 
for believing in such things as male and female. Yeah, over the last four years, the Supreme Court has made really, 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 really clear that you cannot penalize people for practicing their religious beliefs. And that's what's happened in the school. And so, David, uh, you know, Tim says he thinks there's a law group involved. But, David, if you've got connections, if they're not involved, tell them to get First Liberty or, or tell them to get Liberty Council or, or tell them to get Alliance Defending Freedom. This should be a very easy case for them to win. And hopefully they know that and hopefully they're challenging that. They can't win it if they don't challenge it. And this goes to something we've talked about in recent weeks as well. Uh, the Supreme Court over the last four years has essentially dumped 7,700 previous cases, but that doesn't make any difference unless we walk through the door they've opened. They've opened a door we have to go through and fight, and they they are now defending things that we haven't been able to do in 60 years. We, we just got to go fight for it. And, and guys, it's also worth noting that this was not a situation where a Christian school was aggressive in confronting somebody they didn't believe in. They just said, hey, we're going to forfeit the game. That's right. Right? So, so by them saying we forfeit... Literally, the other team won. They gave the other team the win. That's right. And for giving the other team the win, they get penalized. It makes no sense at all because part of the argument would be, right, that they, they were showing this hateful bigotry against this school. So by giving the school the win, they were being the hateful bigots. It makes no sense at all. But these are the kind of accusations that come against them. And, Dad, even as you were mentioning some of the, the religious liberty law firms that we would highly recommend it made me chuckle to myself a little bit thinking, you know, there's there's a lot more of our legal friends out there, whether it be a, a Pacific Justice Institute or uh, the, uh, the American Center for Law and Justice and all these different groups that are out there that would love this case. And I thought, you know, if we start naming that we're going to have friends listening to our program being like, hey, guys, you, you left us out. We want this, too. So it, it's it's yeah, a, Thomas Moore. And you're, you're right. right. There's I mean, so many others that, but, that but are what great. A, what a great problem now that there are so many good groups out there who are fighting to defend these situations and, and, and specifically these Christian schools who are not doing anything malicious or aggressive. And they're the ones being penalized. There are so many good groups out there. So that, as you mentioned, David, if if you know of more details of this case, by all means, reach out to them, let them know. Great groups out there. Um, we're happy to be put in touch with them, too, and uh, can, can connect them to some of our friends in the arena. But certainly this is not something that we expect to stand legally in America. This this might go through a, a couple year lawsuit, but certainly we would think the Christian school would win this one significantly at the end of this outcome. And, and by the way, we mentioned that that there's really 7,300 precedents the courts overturned and said, hey, these these were wrongly decided. This is bad stuff from the Supreme Court. We're doing it differently. And, and this is just for everybody to know, you, you need to be aggressive with this. The court has said, look, we're, we're peeling this back. So you know what you ought to do? You ought to go at Christmas time and tell the city, hey, we want an activity scene out in front of the courthouse. And they're going to, oh, we can't do that. Oh, you can now. This is something you can do. And there's there's a great website up on this called Restoring Faith in America. First Liberty did this, and they're listing the kind of things that you can do. You know, Tim, just this week, uh, you testified on a bill in Texas to put the Ten Commandments back up in every single classroom in Texas. Couldn't have done that five years ago. We can do that now. That's why the bill is going forward. We'll see if it passes. But it's going forward simply because the Supreme Court has said, yeah, this is the kind of stuff that's back on the table. Uh, the Commissioner of Education in Oklahoma is trying to get prayer back in schools. I mean, this is a different ball game, but we have to be willing to be aggressive and, and take this stuff forward. Well, this is the kind of stuff that as, as we have these discussions and conversations, Dad, as you mentioned, the, the Restoring Faith in America website is a great place for people to, to learn more about this. And this is not the only place they can learn more about this, but this is 
a great place to to kind of get some initiation to some of these thoughts because when when we look at so much of the attacks on religious liberty over the last several decades, it really stems from just a couple of Supreme Court decisions that came from activist courts back in the 60s and 70s, and, and arguably a couple of cases early 80s. But I mean, really, since the early 80s, we have seen so many attacks on religious liberty in the public arena against individuals based on some of these bad cases from the Supreme Court. And because we now have a Supreme Court that is made up largely of originalists, meaning they believe in the Constitution as it was originally written. Well, they actually read the Constitution for the first time in a number of decades. A novel concept. And the majority of them probably could even define what a woman is, as opposed to maybe the most recent individual. Nonetheless, this is something that now having individuals who believe in the Constitution, who actually, Dad, as you mentioned, read the Constitution, they know what the First Amendment says, that, that Congress shall make no law. Meaning the only individuals, the only group limited is Congress. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, meaning for individual citizens, that Congress can't prohibit their free exercise. But if you understand the First Amendment, it was to limit Congress, not to limit we the people, or specifically in some of these cases, to limit Christian schools in Vermont. That is not what the law says, and and this should not be upheld if we will finally find people that have the courage to stand up and push back against these unconstitutional decisions. And hopefully that Christian school is doing that, because if they do, they should have a very big win. All right, folks, don't forget to visit wallbuilders.com today. Make that one-time or monthly contribution. Thanks so much for coming alongside us, not only as a listener, but someone that helps us to expand this message, uh, You know, keeps our training programs going. When you make that donation, there's so many different areas that that makes an impact. It's it's the radio program, but it's also the pastor's briefings. It's the it's the teacher training, the student training, the legislator training, I mean, all the different things that we're doing here at Wall Builders to literally rebuild the walls. In fact, I was just reading Nehemiah the other day and thinking about all the challenges that that he faced and and how all the attacks came, which of course we've experienced here at Wall Builders. How how people undermined and and lied and distorted what was being taught. We've of course deal with that and and go through those kind of things as well, but also how important it was that the king funded and that others came and funded. It took funds. It took fuel in the tank to do those things. It's exactly the same way today. So if we're going to rebuild the walls, if we're going to look around and go, wow, look at the reproach, look at the despair and the, and, and the repairs that are that are needed. If we look around and we see that, then we need to do something about it. And whether it's your life, your fortune, your sacred honor, we need to give all of those three a little bit of our time, a little bit of our money, and of course, our reputation to be engaged, to be a part of the solution, uh, to actually do things in our community to make a difference. Another thing that stood out to me in that that uh, reading of, of Nehemiah again was was just how they did. They rebuilt the walls right there by their homes. They rebuilt the walls right where they lived. And you can do the exact same thing in your community. So last thing I'll ask of you today is to become a coach and host our Biblical Citizenship in Modern America. You can do that at biblicalcitizens.com, biblicalcitizens.com. All right, folks, have a great one. We'll have some good news for you tomorrow. You've been listening to Wobble. We stand on this.